The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the hosts, participating callers, and or listener emails, texts, and letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Form Communications. Port 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Welcome to your afternoon. Ben, how's it going? Do you have a good weekend? Had a great re- weekend, Rob. How about you? Uh, pretty good. It was my birthday on Sunday, oh, actually. Oh, happy birthday. Well, thank you, man. Turned the big 3-8. Getting you, old, Ben. Do anything fun to celebrate? Uh, I took my kids to a carnival. We had a carnival oh, here fun. locally. Yeah, we went to that. We had a lot of fun. I, you know, had fun with the kiddos and... I had a nice dinner and everything, so yeah, it was good. It was good. Was like I got my the, the the kids got me a, a new cup. It's one of those um, mm-hmm. insulated metal cups. I don't even know what to call them. There's all sorts of different brands out there, Yeti and stuff. I don't know what brand it is. This one's cool though. Uh, they got it. It's got the Yankees logo on it and my name. Huh? I mean, the name's fine. The Yankees logo. I'm a little bit on. Ben, if I was there, I'd give you a wedgie right now. I, that's not even funny. That's why. That's why you're there and I'm here and. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad that you, you're just gonna make fun of my kid's gift to me on my birthday. Well, Thanks. no, no, no. It's a nice. Gift. It's not, it's not, it's, the cup's not for you, Ben. The cup's for me. I like the Yankees. No, I, I know you do. I know you do, and that's we we can respectfully disagree on the Yankees. Now you're not I'm being sure. so respectful, Ben. I'm sorry. You should be. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, All right. Week. Yeah, Mondays. What are you going to yeah. do? One uh, o'clock, David Flynn, economist from the University of North Dakota, is coming on. We heard a lot last week about this strong jobs report, people saying the economy is roaring right now. Uh, David Flynn's going to be on the program. We'll talk. He, he's an economist. Uh, we're going to cut through some of the politics around this and talk about just how strong are the economic numbers really. We'll talk about that at 1. Also coming up at one thirty, Laura Westberg's going to be on. Now, Laura is the coordinator for the Fargo-Moorhead, well, hold on, FM Plastic Bag Task Force. She's a coordinator for them. Uh, Tomorrow, they have declared June 5th, it's going to be a day without plastic bags. Mm -hmm. So that's happening tomorrow because these people don't like plastic bags. So we'll talk with them about what that means, why they think plastic bags are so bad, uh, that's coming up at 1.30. Plus, of course, your phone calls, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see. What's in the news? Big news this morning, Supreme Court handing down an opinion on that infamous cake baker case yep. uh, out of Colorado where a um, the owner of a bakery there, what's the name of the, the bakery? Is it Magnificent Cakes or something like that? Something like that. Uh, it's like. I think it sounds like it's a bit of a fancier bakery. Yeah. So anyway, uh, he, he he declined to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. Um, he, he he says he consistently declines to do uh, cakes for uh, things that he find you know, he, he feels run contrary to his sincerely held religious beliefs. He says he also doesn't bake cakes for, say, divorce parties. Or like like raunchy cakes for bachelor or bachelorette parties. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just doesn't do that stuff. Doesn't want to do them. Um, the state of Colorado, through their commission, they have like a civil rights commission, and through that commission, um, they basically ruled that he had to pay a fine for not baking the cake. Um, 
Now, what the Supreme Court said today, and a lot of people are misstating this. A lot of people are saying that the Supreme Court upheld this cake baker's name, this baker. I, I still don't have to call him a cake baker. I'm sure he bakes things baker other than cakes. He's a baker. Right. Um, Masterpiece Cake Shop. That's the name of it. Um, they basically said that they did not say that he necessarily has a right to say no. As a matter of fact, the way the Supreme Court held uh, the state of Colorado could initiate a new proceeding against this man um, under their law. You know, the Supreme Court did not strike down any laws here. What they said, and I'm quoting now, this is from Justice Anthony Kennedy writing in the majority opinion. He wrote, I quote, the commission's hostility was inconsistent with the First Amendment's guarantee that our laws be applied in a manner that is neutral toward religion. So basically, they didn't say that there was necessarily anything wrong with the state of Colorado's laws. They didn't say that it was necessarily illegal for the state of Colorado to say, hey, uh, cake bakers, you have to bake cakes for gay weddings. What they said is that the process of enforcing the law was discriminatory. And here's here's further. This is this is further from the opinion. I quote, as the record shows, some of the commissioners at the commission's formal public hearings endorsed the view that religious beliefs cannot be legitimately carried into the public sphere or commercial domain, disparaged Phillips's faith as despicable and characterize it as merely rhetorical and compared his invocation of his sincerely held religious beliefs to defenses of slavery and the Holocaust. No commissioners objected to the comments, nor were they mentioned in the later state court ruling or disavowed in the briefs filed here. The comments thus cast doubt on the fairness and partiality of the commission's adjudication of Phillips's case. Um, so it was a 7-2 decision, but it was a narrow decision. Which is probably why. So it's it's not narrow in terms of the number of votes it got from the Supreme Court justices, but certainly very narrow in its scope. And that, the, again, the Supreme Court is not saying that the government cannot force you to bake a cake. That's not what they're saying at all. What they are saying is in this specific incident, coming out of Colorado, this was handled badly. And and they gave the uh, the Colorado uh, Commission uh, a rap on on the uh, on 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 the knuckles over the way they handle this. Now, there is no doubt that this could have, going forward, um, you know, some implications for the way these sorts of matters are handled by the state. Certainly, I, I think states are probably going to, you know, tighten up their proceedings, uh, maybe have a little less editorializing from the bureaucrats who are in charge of adjudicating these things, right, where they don't have them holding forth about their personal views about the person's religious beliefs. And that's all to the good. But the fundamental question at the center of this case, which is whether or not the government could force you to bake a cake if you don't want to bake a cake, has not been answered. And I think I think that's unfortunate. I think that's something, um, for, for, for my part, that's the question that needs to be answered. Mm -hmm. Can the government force you to bake a cake? Or, um, you know, I, I, I don't know, say a certain thing. I, it's... It was interesting to me the, the term they used for for baking the cake. It was a form of of commercial expression, right? So I, I suppose you know if if you're somebody who paints signs for a living, uh, or somebody who creates for a living, and and you create somebody hires you to create something, like they hire you to create a bake a cake, they're basically hiring you to engage in an act of expression on their behalf. Um, and so the question is is whether or not the government can act can, can force you to to do that. 
I don't I don't think the government should be and I I'd love to hear what the callers think about this. 701-293-9000 888-970-9329 email talk at wday.com. I believe that the government shouldn't be allowed to tell you to force you to bake a cake. I don't think the government should be allowed to compel your unwilling service to another. I think that if you want to say no, whatever you and I might think of the reasons for saying no, right? And and, and to be honest with you, if I was a cake baker, I'd gladly bake cakes for, for gay weddings. Mm-hmm. I'd buy. I'd gladly buy bake cakes for bachelorette parties or divorce parties. I don't have any moral compunctions in those areas. But I'm me. I'm not this guy. This guy has some Zone. peccadillos on that front, mm-hmm. and he should be allowed, I think, to conduct his business in accordance with those. Right, and like like I say, I don't agree with his reasons for why he didn't want to bake the cake, but that's his right, and you know he'll face repercussions anyway. The government doesn't need yeah. to get involved. The people just won't buy cakes from him if they don't I want also, to anymore. I also don't agree with the point of view that neo-Nazis have when they march down the street and they're talking about things like racial purity and racial superiority and everything else. I don't agree with those things either. In fact, I think they're repugnant. I think they're gross. That said, I can still acknowledge that they have a First Amendment right to do those things. Right. So it's a question. And part of the problem here is, I mean, it's long-established law laws against discrimination in terms of like accommodation right so laws that govern hotels for instance hotels cannot say we're not gonna check we're not gonna we're not gonna rent you a room because you're african-american or because Mm -hmm. you're homosexual i mean these these laws and and certainly with with regard to race have been well established for a long time and i think most of us are, are are probably just fine with them but the question is, is, is this is, and this is a different sort of thing. Now you're asking somebody to create something specifically, you know, that bears a message or forwards a message or supports a message or supports a concept that they fundamentally disagree with. You know, I, I don't, I, I mean, then I think it's something akin to like, if, if I walked in, if I, if I came and I walked into, um, a vegetarian shop and ask them to make me a ham sandwich. Right. It's, it's their I mean, business. is that fair? No. And again, it's, it's the guy's business. He can serve who he wants to serve. That's the right of, I think, anyone who owns their own business. And, but I don't know, man. I think that, and here's, it's, it's, it's a hard thing because on one hand, I don't want to see people discriminate against. Right. I don't want homosexuals to feel like they can't go get a cake. I mean, I, I can only imagine how infuriating that experience must be to walk mm-hmm. in and to be told because of your sexuality, because of who you are, they, I'm, you they can't you can't buy a cake from me. Humiliated by it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it, I'm sure it, it felt humiliating. Mm-hmm. That that said, I remember not so long ago, and and I wonder if this is a different thing. There was a coffee shop in Fargo that said that they were not going to, and it was in the wake of a a vote in the state legislature uh, regarding a gay rights bill gay rights piece of legislation there's a lot of debate about it and a coffee shop at fargo said okay based on that vote we are not going to uh we are not going to provide service to any of the lawmakers who voted against that bill now you and i might you and i might have feelings about the coffee shop's decision to do that but as far as i'm concerned it's their business and i fully support their right to serve who they want to serve Mm -hmm. if they want to discriminate against people based on their politics 
Well, so be it. I, I, I don't I, – I am deeply uncomfortable with the government sort of stepping in and getting in between these sort of interactions. I, I think we're right. best bet if, if we let as much as possible – let these interactions be voluntary among people who want to engage in them. I think that if we create a situation where the government is compelling people to provide services unwillingly, I think that's going to do a lot more to disrupt the social order in this country than, than it's, it's, it's not a good thing. Let me put it that way. I, and I, I also very strongly believe that we all have a right to say no. Right. You have a right to not donate money to the Republican Party or the Democratic Party or the Libertarian Party. You have a right to not watch a certain television station if you don't like the programming there. You have the right to not subscribe to the newspaper. You have the right to say no. You have a right to not join a labor union or at least in right to work states you do. I mean, I I think that's very important. That power of association. What sort of things, what sort of people, what sort of organizations, what sort of ideas do you want to associate yourself? That should fundamentally be your decision. Mm -hmm. And while the rest of us may have opinions about how you make that decision and what that decision is, it should, at the end of the day, be your decision and the government shouldn't compel you to make a certain decision. That's what I think. And anyway, what the Supreme Court ruled today, despite what you may be reading elsewhere, really settled none of these questions. Love to hear what you think. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970, WDAY, AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329, email talk at WDAY.com. Talking about the big news at the national level, Supreme Court handing down a decision. Um, they ruled in favor of that Colorado cake baker who uh, had declined to bake a cake. Uh, for a uh, a homosexual wedding, he ran afoul of that state's civil rights commission. Uh, but the Supreme Court today not not really weighing in at all on the question of whether or not the state's law, states like Colorado that have a law regarding that sort of discrimination, not ruling at all about whether or not that law is constitutional or not. Um, in fact, I, I believe in in the in the opinion that I read, uh, they they actually specifically say that. Uh, it could be a situation, uh, you know, the, the states certainly could be, you know, free to, to protect homosexuals from discrimination. They just said that the commission in this instance, uh, because when they were adjudicating the case, made so many negative comments about this guy's religious faith and everything else that they didn't think it was a fair process. So very, very, even though it was a 7-2, the votes were not narrow, but the ruling itself was narrow, which is probably why it got so many votes. Um, let's see. Emailer says, uh, does it work both ways? Will this government force Muslim checkout people to handle pork products? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the trickiness of it, right, is there are a lot of different views on religion. And I, I think the problem is if we have the government coming in and trying to make policies, you know, vo- broad policy about discrimination, well, what do you do if, if, you're, a, if you're a butcher shop, Ben, and you – you you deal in pork products and somebody applies to work for you and but they won't handle pork products what are you supposed to do i mean like how, how... i again i feel like that's the business of course you know tell them before they start working that that's going to be a thing and right i think that almost comes down to the choice of the individual applying for the job if they'd be comfortable working that 
uh, condition or not. See, I agree the yeah. same thing. Yeah. Like, like the like the individual, but also, I mean, if they do apply, I think the business owner should be should be within their rights to say, listen, um, all due respect to your religious beliefs, we need somebody here who can handle pork products. Right. You know, I, I can't have an employee who can only do half the job. I need somebody who could do the full job. And so that's, I mean, that's how complicated this stuff gets, and which is why I'm very skeptical of, of, of public policy in this regard. Um, I, I think what we've really got to focus on instead is allowing the market to play this stuff out. Another emailer, Joe, says, Rob, the way I see it is the ruling should have been the baker should be required to sell a generic cake without any frills, as I see the frills as their expression of artistry. If the gay couple wants a plain fondant cake, a covered cake, then they could buy it or shop elsewhere to get the fancy cake. I, I think that's too cute by half, Joe. I think that if, if, um, if the cake baker doesn't want to make the cake, he shouldn't have to. And it doesn't matter what they want on it or anything else like that. I think people have the right to say no. And now I understand that that's going to allow some people with nefarious intent or with hateful ideas, it's going to allow them to discriminate. And, and trust me, I trust trust me, I, I, I don't want that. I, I wish we could eradicate hatred and bigotry from our society. Unfortunately, there are things that, that exist. My argument is that the free market is generally better at, at taking care of this stuff than politicians and, and lawyers and, and judges. I think we're better off. And and today, I mean, how many businesses could honestly survive if they just said, you know, we're not going to serve homosexuals or we're going to discriminate against? I can tell you I wouldn't shop at a business that chose to do that. If I knew a local business was saying, oh, well, we're not going to serve homosexual couples, I wouldn't shop at that business. And a lot of people mm -hmm. would feel the same way, and that business would probably go out of business, which right. I think illustrates that we don't really need a lot of these laws. Caller, Chris, you're on. What's up? Hey Rob, I want to I want to say I definitely do agree that it's it's best to let the market you know uh, bear this stuff out. Um, but I would also say too that we have to maybe define essential services. Do you know what I mean? Like things that are um, things that are essential to everyday life that you maybe can't. Like baking a cake is not essential to everyday life, but uh, getting service, you like know, bread and milk some is. sort of health service or you know yeah. anything like that. Yeah, uh, you know, I I agree. Um, yeah, okay, okay. So so in, in this sense, it's like if 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 the emergency room doctor was all of a sudden right. like, oh, I don't I don't want to work on him. He's gay. Um, right. I think you have to have you have to almost. I mean, obviously, this isn't really an issue, but but you have to have something in place. I think it, to define the difference between these two things. Yeah. Um, but but again, I. I I, I think that's fair, and I, I, I guess I would be okay with a law in that regard, only, if only because – I don't know, because I, 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 I struggle with it. Where's the problem? I mean, do we have an emergency room doctor somewhere in this country of 300-plus million people who has ever done that? No, who's ever said, and, and I'm not you gonna, know what? It's uh, one of those uh, things where you know we don't need to make a solution in search, uh, you know, in search of a problem, but I'm just saying right. it may come up at some point, yeah. at which point we would have to – uh, but I, th I think I think these things. But I agree I think, that it's best to let the market, you know, do what the market does. And I just I think, have one more uh, comment in regards sure. to the whole uh, ham at Walmart uh, comment that that emailer has. Yeah. Um, 
the, the difference there is is that if they can if they have someone else come and still ring up your meat or whatever, I mean that that's not saying that you're not allowed sure. to buy it. It's accommodating a person's you know religious. Right, and belief. if Walmart wants to do that, what 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 skin is it off your nose? Right, like if I was, right. I guess if I was checking out and I'm buying some, uh, I'm buying you know some ham. And my checkout clerk is, I, I don't know, Jewish or Muslim or whatever, and doesn't want to handle pork. Um, and they bring somebody else in to check me out. The amount of inconvenience that I'm experiencing is pretty minimal. And I don't see sure. what, if, if Walmart wants to do that to accommodate their employees or whatever employer it is, um, that's fine. I'm just saying there could be an instance, like if you're a small business, um, you know, you may not be able to do that. You may only have one clerk checking out. Like if you're running sure. a small mom and pop grocery yeah, and I, store, I think and you got one case, clerk. You have to be able to have the right to 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 you know, right? When you hire someone, be like, hey, See, but there's hand, so this many is a, a pork selling establishment. You're right. going to have to handle it. If you can't handle the pork, I can't hire you. See, and this and this is my point, Chris. In a nutshell, I mean, because you and I could sit here and we could come up with all of these scenarios. Uh, and we could say, well, we got to have a carve out here and a carve out there. We ought to just let the market decide on this stuff. Just let it, just let it decide. Understanding that some people are going to make stupid decisions, uh, and and even in the case talking about emergency, like like a lot a lot of emergencies, like first responders, police, fire departments. I don't think our government, like when it comes to our government, our government doesn't get to make these choices. Our government's a different sort of entity than a privately owned business. Citizens have rights. The government does not necessarily have rights. So the government has to treat us all equally. So if you're talking about a fire, the government cannot employ a firefighter who won't put out a fire at a black person's home. The government can't right. be allowed to do that. I'm fine with those laws. Now, if you're talking about a hospital, okay, well, now this is a different matter because hospitals are private generally. Uh, and so, you know, but, but again, what hospital on the face of the planet is going to employ somebody who is going? I mean, that's a simple solution for the hospital. You put it right in the policy. And you say, listen, if you're going to work in the emergency room, if you're going to work for us, period, uh, you got to take all comers. And that's just full stop. You don't get to pick and choose. And if you do, you're fired immediately. You're out of here. Um, I, I think I think that's that's how you solve it. I mean, this stuff's not that hard. I, I, I think there's, I think there's just because, again, I, I don't I don't think that I don't think that, that that homosexual couples are having a problem in America finding cakes for their weddings. I don't think that's a real problem that exists. I think what's no, happened is not. this guy, this cake baker in Colorado, was exercising his sincerely held belief. It ticked a lot of people off. I'll be honest with you. I don't agree with his beliefs about it, but it ticked a lot of people off. And so there's that, that human nature, like, well, we got to force that guy to act in, the, in accordance with the way we think he ought to act. And, and honestly, to me, that's the more troubling behavior. I don't like that the guy wants to discriminate against homosexuals, but the more troubling behavior in my mind is we're going to force that guy to come into compliance. That to me that's scary. We're going to use the power of the state to force this guy into compliance. That scares me. Chris, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Uh we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can tweet me as well, at Rob Port. Uh, we're talking about the Supreme Court uh, ruling handing down on the uh, Colorado Cake Baker case, which I think I think captured people's a lot of people's imagination. I'm, I'm glad we've had the debate because I think it works. Um, I think it forces people to think about the discrimination issue maybe in a, in a way they're not used to thinking. Um, and and here's, here's the way I think about it because I want to make sure – 
I want to make sure people understand where I'm at on this. Essentially, I, I think that individuals have a right to choose who they associate themselves with. And I think that when, when individuals organize themselves in, into some sort of an organization, whether it's like a business or a labor union or what have you, they don't lose those rights. You're still allowed to decide who or what you're associated with, right? And so, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, for, for years, Ben, um, you know, remember back when uh, processing film used to be a thing? I suppose it still is a thing, but it used to be a lot more. Like you went everywhere, like like Walmart and everything. They had a, a film processing lab. Yeah, I was very young, but I do remember that. Yeah, shut up, Ben. <laughs> very young. All right, you ticking me off. You know, somebody told me I was middle aged over the weekend, and I was gonna be like, oh yeah, that's funny. I just realized oh, that's true. Thirty eight years old now, middle aged, getting old. Really, that's what's. I always thought of it like being in the forties or fifties. Yeah, so did yeah. I. Apparently, but no. 38 counts i guess really well you don't look like i still it. feel young i still feel young Good. um okay so uh, getting back to my point i don't think you lose that right to to decide how you associate but like like you know film they would not i mean it was a long-standing policy that they would not process film that had like explicit content on it so if you were taking nudie photo photos of yourself or, or other people uh they wouldn't process those for you. They decided they didn't want to be involved in that sort of a, a lot of, I don't know, maybe some did, but a lot of them, I, I actually, I, somebody made a point on a podcast I was listening to that that's a big part of what drove prior to cell phones and digital cameras, a big part of what drove the um, success of like Polaroid cameras really? was that people who like, well, they were talking about like, like serial killers and stuff would always use Polaroids because they couldn't just go and get the film process of them taking pictures of dead bodies. Okay. It's not something I'd ever thought of before. No, but, but it, ma- it makes sense. But anyway, like like film processors, obviously, I mean, setting aside illegal activity, obviously, did, they didn't want to be involved in processing that sort of, uh, th- th- that sort of content. And they have a right to, to, to say no to that. Mm-hmm. Whatever you and I might think of that, they have a right to say no. I think everybody has a right to say no. And I think rather than, than using government policy to try to force people to give the answer that you want when you ask them for goods or you ask them for services, I think rather we want to live in a society that inspires people not to discriminate. That's what I want. I, I, I want people to choose not to discriminate. I want people to choose not to be racist. And I think we have a lot to lose. I think we have a lot to lose in terms of freedom. I think we actually risk exacerbating the situation when we try to force people not to be bigots. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329-EM. Email talk at WDAY.com. Tweet me at Rob Port. Another emailer says, uh, Rob, I am sure... He had to get a license for his business. He is providing a service to the public. If he was operating a burger joint, he could be prosecuted for discrimination and refusing service due to racism or whatever. If he was asked to cater a disagreeable group's meeting or wedding, then he has an argument against it. But just selling a burger to a customer, I think he would have no case. No one is going to force a kosher Jewish or Muslim caterer to cater a pork convention, for example. But, Joe, I mean, this is the problem, though, Joe. Is if you're if you're if you're saying that this guy doesn't have a right to pick and choose his customers, or or what sort of events or or religious ceremonies or what have you, he chooses to be associated with in any way. If that guy doesn't have that right, then nobody has that right. Okay, I mean you you can't just pick and choose when you're going to say people have the right to say no.
Either they have it or they don't. And it's 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 a little bit different in that the cake is being it's a little bit different in that if you're just selling somebody a burger, you know, um, you know maybe that's that's different because you know baking a cake you're, you're like creating this is a degree of artistry involved uh, and, and you're you're making it for a specific ceremony that you object to. I mean maybe that's another level, but generally I think people should have the right to say no. And I don't, I don't even know that we need to go so far as the First Amendment or religious freedom or anything like that. I think if you just want to say no, you should be allowed to say no. Mm-hmm. You live in a free society. If you don't want to associate yourself with a certain type of customer, I, I don't think you should have to. Now, I might disagree with whatever your motivations are for that. But that should be how it is. Which, which, by the way, I mean, if, if, if you saw somebody who's prominent in your community and they're a white supremacist and they're always they're on television and they're, they're holding marches and they're discriminating against black people and he comes into your restaurant and asks you for a hamburger and you don't want to sell that guy a hamburger, A, I don't blame you, and B, you should have that choice. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying that, that, that gay people are on, are on, uh, are on par with neo-Nazis or whatever. That's no. not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we're all seeing the world through different lenses. What I'm saying is is that you should be allowed to make that choice, and it shouldn't really matter what your justification is for it. I'm not sure that you need to justify it. That's the other thing. We hear this in the gun rights debate all the time, too, where people are like, well, why do you need an AR-15? You know, or, or, or in, in the speech, why do you need to say things that make people mad? Well, I don't have to justify the exercise of my freedoms to you. I have them. They are inherent to me. And I don't need to explain to you why I want to exercise them a certain way. I don't need to justify. I mean, that turns it on its head. Like, I now have to justify my decision to say no. I don't have to justify my decision to say a certain thing. That's not how freedom works. I mean, I mean what's next? We're going to say people are guilty until proven innocent? Not how it works. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Getting back to the Supreme Court case. Uh, the Supreme Court really settled absolutely nothing, Ben. No, I mean, despite, like you were saying, everyone made it sound like it was the cake itself that was settled, like whether or not they should have the right to make it. But, like, until you told me that, I had not gotten that from anything I'd read or listened to. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they really, what they very narrowly said is that the process at Colorado specifically, and really, I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't on the question of whether or not Colorado's anti-discrimination laws are unconstitutional or whether or not people could be compelled. None of that was settled. What they said is that the process Colorado used to adjudicate this specific case was discriminatory, mm-hmm. which may change the process in other states, but, I, but it's, it really doesn't settle the question of whether or not you could be forced to bake a cake. Right. Yeah, and I was one of the headlines I saw. Like the the lead of it was that this was a major blow to uh, equality groups, and I just don't see that with like how you described not, it here. And it's not it's not really one way or the other. It's no. not a blow. It's not a benefit. It's really nothing. And this one, all they're saying is in this one specific mm-hmm. case, uh, the process was bad. That's what mm-hmm. they've said. Um, and, you know, and they and they and I think I think that is helpful in that you know you. you you know, states need to be cognizant of the fact that they can't just load up the civil rights commissions with people who are, are extremely ideological and have a certain political outlook uh, and then just have them run roughshod over people. I mean, that's essentially what happened in Colorado, where they're making disparaging comments about this guy's religious beliefs and everything during the proceedings. Um, you know, and that's 
how could you, I mean, could you get a fair trial for if the judge is up there making cracks about you the whole time? I'd say no. Right. I mean, I mean I, that, that, would be, that would be inappropriate if I the judge is up there like. People's minds were made up before the case even got to court. Yeah. yeah. And so, so, you know, they said the process was bad at Colorado. But still, this is an important question. Where, mm-hmm. where does your right to say no end? And, and to me, I, I think the right to say no in a free society is probably one of the most important rights we have. Mm-hmm. Say no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. But it's getting eroded all over. Look at the health care debate. I mean, for a while there, we had a law. The law of the land was you weren't allowed to say no to health insurance, at least not without paying a fine. What amounted to a fine. Although that was how the Supreme Court upheld it, right? You yeah. weren't being fined for not being <laughs> health insurance. You were being taxed. Mm-hmm. A distinction without a difference, I think. All right, we're going to take another break. We'll be right back. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970, WDY AM 93.1 FM. And you see this uh, interview with Bill Clinton from over the weekend, Ben? No, what was it on? Well, he's, well, ostensibly, he's doing a book tour um, because he's got a new book out. It's a a fiction book he wrote with, uh, what did he write it with? I got it here somewhere. He wrote a new book, um... I don't see it. I don't know. It's it's a uh, suffice to say it's it's a fiction book, some sort of a thriller book. Anyway, so mm-hmm. he's out there, but he gets asked about Monica Lewinsky and the Me Too okay. Me Too movement thing, mm-hmm. right? And so he was on NBC's Today, uh, and he was asked if he owes Monica Lewinsky a po- an apology. Uh, and he he told NBC's Craig Melvin, uh, "No, I do not. I have never talked to her, but I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. That's very different." The apology was public, mm-hmm. so which is never... which is a very Clintonian answer, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, he's asked, "Do you owe her an apology?" And he says, "No, I don't, but I did apologize publicly." So, yeah. well, which is it? Did you need to apologize or not? And if you if you if you owed it a public apology, then why not a personal apology? Right, and if you made in a public apology after saying, you know, you don't, or you know, you said you didn't think you had to apologize, and then you apologized anyway, how sincere is that apology? Yeah. 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 And then and then this this jerk. Yeah, he apologized publicly, I think, because that was the politically expedient thing to do. Right. Then this guy, he goes, a lot of the facts have been conveniently omitted to make the story work. I think partly because they're frustrated that they got all these serious allegations against our current occupant of the Oval Office and his voters don't seem to care. Uh, So he says that. So basically he's saying, well, Trump's got all these accusations about him and his supporters don't care. But then he turns around uh, and he says this. He goes, this was litigated 20 years ago. Two-thirds of the American people sided with me. What? Well, so which is it? So, I mean, so he's going, okay, well, Donald Trump has got all these allegations with him, and his supporters still support me, but we should stop talking about me as president of the United States having sexual relations with a White House intern in the White House. We should stop mm-hmm. talking about, the, about that because two-thirds of the American people supported me. Which, I mean, he was reelected. Right. There's no question about that. So, I mean, he's right, but if, if that's the case, so, so Trump supporters, just so we can follow the logic here, Trump supporters are bad because they're continuing to support the president despite the fact that we, we now know he pretty clearly paid off Stormy Daniels and had an affair with her, uh, mm-hmm. that, that just being one 
of his problems in that arena. Uh, Trump supporters are bad because they're continuing to sort pre- support President Trump through that. But Clinton supporters are good, and we should stop. Monica Lewinsky shouldn't be a thing anymore because two-thirds of the American people supported Bill Clinton. You following the logic there, Ben? Um, I, I see what he's setting up. I'm not, I'm not buying it. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's just the double standard there that is annoying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so James Patterson, uh, that's, that's the name of the author who he's, oh, okay. he's touring yeah, with. Yeah, James yeah. Patterson. Yeah. So, so at that point it was kind of funny because during the interview too, James Patterson ju- jumps in. Mm-hmm. And he starts to defend Trump. And this this is how he does it. He goes, I think this thing is – it's 20 years ago. Come on. Let's talk mm-hmm. about JFK. Let's talk about LBJ. Stop already. So basically, I guess the argument is, will all the presidents do it so we should just not talk about it? No. I mean, here, here's here's the thing. The Me Too people set the standard, right? This this wasn't set by, like, the Republican Party. This isn't, like, the, the standard that Newt Gingrich or anybody else on the right mm-hmm. set. Right, this this Me Too thing is is a very I I I like to think it's bipartisan in many ways. Right, and it's coming out and it's saying, listen, the way we talked about women who were the subject of sexual harassment and sexual assault in the past, the way we handled that has sucked. Mm -hmm. A lot of it's been swept, particularly when it's powerful figures, mostly men, not exclusively men, but mostly men. Um, the way that's been handled in the past sucks because they've abused their power and they've been able to get away with it. Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, uh, you know, Kevin Spacey, on down the list. But now it's it's like, well, it's it's Bill Clinton, and I think he should just he I guess he thinks he should just get away with it. Well, and we should point out, like, we're talking about Monica Lewinsky, which she has said that that was at least consensual. It still was a gross, like. Misuse yeah, of power. Yeah, so Stormy Daniels was consensual too. Right, right. And I, for uh, Bill Clinton and Trump, they also have some accusations of some yeah. not so consensual ones too. And although, although on the question of consent, yeah. though, uh, earlier this year for Vanity Fair, Monica Lewinsky published an, an essay. Mm-hmm. And this is what she wrote. She said, "I quote: Now at forty-four, I'm beginning, just beginning." to consider the implications of power differentials that were so vast between a president and a White House intern. I'm beginning to entertain the notion that in such a circumstance, the idea of consent might well be rendered moot. Basically saying, you know, she's in such a, she's in such a, 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 she's in a situation where there's such a vast power difference that she was put in a position where she couldn't really say no. Right. Now, I don't know if I buy that. Hmm. I don't know if I buy into that I, entirely, but I can see you know, the, the question of if, if she's if she's saying, you know, she's not really saying entirely that it was consensual anymore. I, I think she's a little wishy washy on that. And I guess we could have a long debate about that. Mm-hmm. But does anyone else think it's just maybe time for the Clintons to go away? Let's just go away. And by the way, I, I think the reason why people are wondering, well, why are people asking Bill Clinton about this on a book tour? I'm pretty sure this is the first time he's been exposed to the media. Right, like in a, in a position where a reporter could ask him questions directly and get answers. I think this is the first time since the whole Me Too thing started. And obviously, if you're going to talk about that situation in America, Bill Clinton's going to be part of the conversation. Right. He given, has a reputation. Given his behavior. And by yeah. the way, not just Monica Lewinsky, Juanita Broderick, mm-hmm. who to this day maintains that she was raped mm-hmm. by well, President, by well, by then Governor Clinton. Well, wasn't it during uh, one of the presidential debates, uh, 
several of the women who accused Bill Clinton, they were present at one of the debates, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. They were. And it was it was like five or six. There was a number. So I don't know. I feel like he given his reputation, given his history, that he is it is perfectly fair game to talk about what happened. And I don't understand why him or anybody else thinks that it wouldn't be just because it happened so long ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, it's almost like he plays the victim. Like if you if you go back if you watch the interview, it's almost like Bill Clinton wants us to like, oh poor Bill Clinton, still being asked about Monica Lewinsky twenty years later. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, tough Bill. You made your bed. You got to lay in it. Uh, all right, coming up in the next segment, we're going to talk with uh, UND economist uh, David Flynn. We got some pretty good job numbers last week, and uh, as a matter of fact, what was that New York Times? headline i was reading about it was something like like the new york times the new york we times have no it was something like we have no words we've run out of yet. words mm-hmm. to talk about how good how strong the right. economy is i think that was the headline mm-hmm. which is pretty remarkable but you know the, the problem is is these things are complex um there's no one metric that that means a strong economy so how strong is the national economy really and I've got some questions about it, and we're going to ask UND economist David Flynn about it because, well, he does this stuff for a living. Um, you know, I, I have a feeling he's going to say we're doing good, we could be doing better. You know, that's usually how these academics hedge things. Right. But I, I just I really wanted to shine a light on this because I think it's important. Um, uh, the other question, too, is I hear a lot of people because Trump, you know, he's, got a, he's been in office a little more than a year now. Um, he's implemented a lot of policies. How much credit does he get for all this? Because I, I think there's a tendency we, we blame whoever's in charge right at the moment for whatever the economy is doing at the moment. But the truth is economic trends take a long time to establish at times. So we'll talk with David Flynn about that coming up next. Hour two of the Rob Report. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Hour two, Rob Report, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. We, uh, well, we spent the first hour talking about the uh, Supreme Court cake baker thing, but now we're going to switch gears. The other hot news, at least last week, was the nation's economy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, like I, like I mentioned last hour, there was a New York Times article last week. Literally, the headline was, we've run out of words to talk about how strong the economy is. Something, it was something along those lines. That coming from the New York Times, which, by the way, does not have an editorial bent, which would lead you to believe that they're in a position where they want to start, you know, doing things that are politically good for president trump so i think it's safe to say yeah the economy's doing pretty good but here to talk with us about that is someone who's well he's an expert in this sort of stuff he studies it for a living david flynn economist from the university of north dakota mr flynn how are you doing i'm doing well rob how are you pretty good so i you know i, I think at least superficially um you know, it looks it sure looks like things are going pretty good in the economy. What's I mean, what's your take? I'm I'm, I'm assuming by now you've you've read the jobs numbers. You've looked over everything. Mm-hmm. What's your take? Yeah. Um, I think my take is that uh, you are talking about an economy that's doing uh, well right now. Absolutely. Um, and I think for for the for the foreseeable future, say the end of this towards the end of this year, I think, um, you know, barring some some major policy gaffes. This this strength should continue. I think the 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 larger questions are um, what's going to happen when we run short on labor supply uh, at, at 
as a nation, much the way North Dakota seems to have a cap on what it can do for output because it doesn't have enough workers, the, the country can run into that problem. I, I think the other thing, obviously, that hangs over the head here and uh, in North Dakota and the country as a whole is, is what are we doing with trade and how is that going to uh, going to impact the the really very strong economic growth and strong economic fundamentals that we're enjoying right now. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, when, when I look at the numbers, and I, I I think you're exactly right. I mean, our unemployment level is is low, and and believe mm-hmm. it or not. There is such a thing as having an unemployment rate that's too low. North Dakota Absolutely. struggles with that all the time. We're constantly trying to, you know, the politicians are always talking about we need to diversify our economy, we need to bring in new industry, and, and I, I think they're absolutely right. I think a more diverse economy, would. I, I don't want to stop doing oil, I want to stop doing agriculture. Those things are wonderful, but they're commodity-driven. They tend to be mm-hmm. a little bit of a roller coaster. If we can move our state, diversify our state, broaden our economic base a little bit, it'd be a good thing. The problem is... We just don't have the labor. But, but let me ask you this question. The economy's strong right now. Why is it strong? I mean, what's, what's making all this happen? Well, I, I, think there are, I think there are a couple of different things that are going on. I think one is that the consumer side of the economy uh, started to recover late in the Obama years and built up momentum during the, this, these first 500 days of the Trump uh, presidency. And really, with that tax change that you've got there's there's more income in people's pockets right now and so that that consumer side is doing reasonably well um with the tax change i think we're hopeful and and we haven't seen a lot of of sustained uh change in this yet but i think we're hopeful that business investment is going to improve as well uh and that would be one of the key things for prolonged sustained strong economic growth because Really, going back to the end of the George W. Bush presidency, you saw this this drastic decline in business investment going on in the U.S. economy, driven in part by the financial crisis, the need to just slash spending across the board for a lot of businesses. And so we became less of an innovation economy, less of the, the center of new ideas than we had been in the past. And that was I think we saw low growth during the Obama presidency. I think we saw a slight change in this right now, uh, but it's consumer-driven, and that means income has to continue to go up. That means wages have to go up. We're seeing signs of that. But again, that's a somewhat tenuous thing uh, in, in terms of it could reverse itself. It's that investment-led growth that I would like to see getting stronger in the U.S. economy, and, and going forward, that leads to longer and more sustained growth. I think it's important to always ask when we're getting when we're getting an output we want from the economy, and I think we are right now. I think, like you said, mm-hmm. I think you know, job wages are growing, jobs we're getting mm-hmm. jobs. I, I think those are good things. So I think the important thing is to ask why are we getting those things? What inputs mm-hmm. did we put in to get those things? Now the economy is hugely complex, and there's only so many aspects of it that we control through public policy. Other aspects are. Uh, you know, I mean, if there's if there's a drought somewhere else in the world, then maybe it's really good for our ag sector here in the United States, and and so that drives some of it. Yep. I mean, it's it's hugely complex, and, and public policy only controls some of it. But one thing I'm hearing is that, well, you know, President Obama put policies in place, and they're just starting to to bear fruit now, mm-hmm. and Trump's getting the credit for it. Is that a fair argument? Do you think? Uh, I I would say that there's. 
some of that going on. I mean, if you look at some of the indicators like the stock market, it was going strong in the last in the last, I don't know, few hundred days of the Obama presidency as well. So, I, I mean, there was something that started well. Uh, this is my general rule. Look, we all understand that policy, particularly economic policy, goes into effect with a lag. So yeah. there, are, there are things that certainly probably happened under an Obama presidency that are, that are being enjoyed by President Trump, but those, that's, that's the rules of the game. Okay, you, you you don't get credit for everything that you started or that you did uh, during your time frame. Uh, it, it's just it's just how that happens. And so, um, you know, I, I will say it this way: I think there was probably too much negativity towards the end, uh, say the last year of the Obama presidency, in terms of those who did not think the economy was doing well. I think they were. They were they were not looking forward enough to what would be happening, but at the same time, uh, I, I don't think President Trump's you know done things that have that have derailed that, uh, and so that's that's to his credit. Uh, at the same time, you know, leverage what's going well. Again, the one thing I already mentioned that I think we have to be worried about and concerned about would be trade, uh, and, and that's the one area where I have serious concerns going forward, both at the state level but also at the national level. I want to get into trade in just a moment. And and by the way, if you want to join the call, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. You can tweet me as well, at Rob Port. Um, we, you, you were talking just a moment ago about businesses wanting to invest again. We're seeing some of that where businesses are, are maybe starting to maybe feel a little more confident and in, in, in venturing out. And, and maybe this is my own biases speaking, but I, I, I'm seeing this very much through the lens as a conservative Republican and, and kind of looking at the Dakota Access Pipeline as being a shining example of this, where you had one administration that I think for very ideological reasons was using, you know, the bureaucracy to, to sort of hold up completion of the pipeline. President Trump comes in, all of a sudden the pipeline's built. I think there's a lot of sectors of our economy, the oil and gas, you know, not least among them. Um, that are looking at the Trump administration as saying, let's let's just get to work. Let's just let's just mm-hmm. go to business. And I realize I'm being very superficial in the way I'm talking about this, but uh, I I feel like like a lot of people view President Trump as a very pro business president. I think that's certainly how he portrays himself. Is that driving people's desire? I mean, that coupled with I mean, we've seen a lot of deregulation over the first year in President yep. Trump's office. We he just signed a bank deregulation bill. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, a lot of that I, I got to think is stirring these businesses to say, hey. Let's invest. Let's get back to work. Uh, yeah, I think I think some of that is. I, I think here's here's my concern with that, and that is okay. um, a lot of this was done by presidential fiat and declaration, uh, right. and that's concerning in the sense that it can reverse itself upon electoral well, right. uh, changes, or it can reverse itself if the president changes his mind about something. And so, but but yeah. you, to, to your question specifically, yes, there there's been a general impression of of willingness to reduce regulatory overhead uh, and and allow things that were not being allowed under a prior presidency. And as a result of that, uh, there are some business sectors that are making moves in that direction. At the same time, um, again, I would like to see a more broad-based investment across multiple sectors. You mentioned you know energy as, as being a key sector. I'd like to see it happening across the board. Uh, and and you know that that's what we still have to see happening uh, in a longer and more sustained basis because then I think we're really talking yeah. about 
I don't think we'll get to 4% growth, but I think we're talking about multiple years of around 3% growth. Yeah, I, and I never like it when politicians start saying, well, this this industry is what we really need to focus on, and which I think yeah. is probably a good segue into the trade question, because I can tell you last week, uh, my nephew, who lives in the state of Washington, was visiting here. Uh, his father works for an Al- Alcoa plant, uh, makes made used to it used to be open, made aluminum in the state of Washington. Uh, that plant closed. Um, he was telling me that if if President Trump, they were thinking about reopening the plant, and it sounds like they may reopen it if President Trump issued tariffs uh, on on imported aluminum from Canada, mm-hmm. Mexico, U- European Union. Um, that's that appears to be what's going to be happening. The problem is, is when I was talking about this last week, we had a a listener email in and say, listen, I'm a manufacturer in Fargo, and these tariffs are going to drive up the cost of my steel by 40%. So I mm-hmm. think when you're talking about trade, I, I think the problem is, okay, well, we, we put in a trade tariff, and maybe that's great for one part of the American economy. It could be devastating for other parts. I mean, this is really a can of worms. I, I feel like the President, President Trump's opening with this. Uh, I think so, and, and I think in, in many ways <sighs> – in many ways, what's concerning is that I, I think the president, at some level, is viewing this through a lens of, of either a zero-sum game, or, or or there's or there's just clearly, you know, no no downsides, or failing to see the interconnections here, like you're mentioning. That that's what this can of worms idea is: is that once you move in one direction in one industry, and for the benefit of one industry. First off, you're driving up prices to a lot of other people who may be getting it cheaper from abroad, and you may be okay with that. But these other countries are going to retaliate in other ways and are are going to retaliate in other industries that are going to be indirectly – well, I I should say won't be affected by your initial policy, but these other countries are going to have this this ability to come in and say, fine, you you raise prices on aluminum, we're going to raise prices on soybeans. You know, yeah. and, and, and this tit-for-tat back and forth quickly escalates out of control. And trade wars, unlike what the president has said, are not easy to win and, and, and are, in fact, really easy to just mess up your entire economy and force everybody to pay more for a lot of different goods or be unable to sell what they've already been producing in the case of something like soybean. Here's, here's, what, here's what concerns me about President Trump, because I think the impetus for what he's trying to do on trade is correct. I think I think you look at China in particular, um, you know, for instance, violating intellectual property laws. Uh, you know, huge, I, I think, a huge I, issue and one that you got to deal with and should be dealing with. It's just it's it's not as easy to deal with. I think right, and, and so which which goes to my point. My problem is it seems his philo- his guiding philosophy behind this is is skewed, which is where he seems to think, well, if we if we stop trade from coming in and we, we sort of protect the American economy from international competition, well that's gonna be good for the American economy. And it it's not. I think no. I think historically, historically you could go back and prove when when Republicans of another and which is sort of interesting because Republicans like under Reagan, I mean I cut my teeth watching Milt Friedman on YouTube. You know, uh-huh. during the Reagan administration. I mean, that's or, or his comments from the Reagan. I wasn't watching YouTube yeah. during the. I was going to say you watch YouTube. Could, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, through my through my my I was ten years old with my time travel device. No. Yeah. Um. The but you know I'm watching Friedman clips from the the Reagan administration. I mean that was to me that that sort of free trade, free to choose. Mm-hmm. I mean that that to me is the basis for a lot of my politics. Just generally, just let people make the best decision, what they think are the best decisions for themselves, and they're all self-interested. In the aggregate, most things are going to work out okay. Absolutely. Um, th- what, what, what Trump is, is really sort of a throwback to, like, like the Hoover 
Coolidge era of yeah. of Republican politics, where we're very just sort of you know uh, America, you know we're, we're going to put American industry first, and international competitors can go pound sand, and we're going to protect, and we're just going to promote ourselves first. I don't think that works well. I don't think, and, and per, more so today probably than in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties. No, I, I think that's that's very true. You look at the degree of of international flows of goods and services, and that's an enormous problem. And and the other issue with it is this: I mean, the president's looking at one element only, and that is the the flow of goods and services. He's not looking at the capital account and understanding that when when we buy all these goods and services from a country like China, let's just say China um, as, as one example, um, we're paying with dollars, and dollars go over there. And they need to do something with those dollars. And so they come back in here and they buy all kinds of debt and, and other kinds of assets, but principally financial assets. And so you know, one of the reasons interest rates have been so low for so long, uh, going back to the early part of the 2000s, and we can debate the rightness and wrongness of this, but a lot of people could afford mortgages because China and others were, were buying up U.S. government debt, and as a result of that, interest rates stayed low, and we were able to, to keep interest rates low and have people get into homes and the like as a result of that. So, I mean, those dollars end up coming back here uh, in, in some ways in, in which they buy these financial assets. So it's, it's even that element of it is a very narrow view of what trade is and, and how trade works, yeah. uh, that it's just this trade deficit in goods and services. You've, you've got to look at this bigger picture and, and see this going on. But there's so many flows and there's so many different connections that, that go on. And it's really, um, it, it's really a, an unfortunate narrow slice and, and completely at odds with the way the world is functioning now, and there, are, I think there are plenty of people who say, "Oh no, that's fine. We'll put, we'll put American industry yeah. first. Okay, so you're going to then have to engage in one trade policy after another because if you want to benefit, yeah. as you pointed out, you want to benefit aluminum, that's fine. But then steelmakers are going. Now you're putting me out of work. Then the farmers are going to say, "Now you're now I got nowhere to sell my my soybeans. Now you know, yeah. and, and it's just going to keep going. And, 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 going and by the way, my going. tractor the tractor I want to buy is twenty percent more expensive because exactly. the goods are are tough. Um, we um, there's a uh, there's a saying you could probably quote the guy who said this, but uh, markets are dynamic, po- policies are are static. Right. Yep. I'm, yep. I'm probably butchering that, but uh, I think that's generally a good rule of thumb. David, we're out of time. Thanks for your time today. Absolutely. David Flynn, a uh, professor of economics from the University of North Dakota. This is the Rob Report. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Yeah, that's that's my problem with the uh, the trade thing and, and why generally I think we need to have a light touch when it comes to regulating trade. Because the problem is it's so complicated. And, I mean, you, you, you implement one policy, you can have completely unforeseen side effects somewhere else. I mean, that's how complicated this stuff. There is nobody in the universe smart enough to just to just manage the economy. I mean, that's, that's why command economies don't work, Ben. That's why, mm-hmm. like, the Soviet Union collapsed. That's why communism doesn't work. There's too many the, parts. They, they just – well, I mean, well, first of all, there's the authoritarianism and mm-hmm. – you know, the, the fact that that sort of power is corrupting, which right. I think you see is pretty common in communist regimes. But also, there's no person or group of people that are smart enough to manage an economy like that. No. There's right? just too much. You know, it's and it's really sort of amazing. Like, when you look at it, like, why, why, um, 
Why is it that when you go to the grocery store, the grocery store is full? There's no law that says that there even has to be a grocery no. store in your town. There's no law that says that that grocery store has to stock all these foods and everything. I mean, that's just the spontaneous organization mm-hmm. of the free market. Right. That's how that happens. And, you know, while, while, while I'm not necessarily against having, um, you know, some level of of regulation, right? I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm not advocating for anarchy here. But on on the flip side, I think you got to tread carefully because it can, you know, again, you implement a policy and it can manifest itself in, in completely unforeseen ways. All right, mm-hmm. we're going to switch gears here. Uh, my next guest uh, in the next segment is uh, going to be Laura Westberg. She is a coordinator for the Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force. Tomorrow, they have an event going on. They've, they've declared June 5th a day without plastic bags. And... I guess I'm wondering what, what the audience thinks of that. Are you going to give up your plastic bags tomorrow? Do you think we should give up plastic bags? Are plastic bags something that should still be an option for you uh, when you go to the grocery store? Uh, I'm reading now. This is from uh, uh, in Fargo Forum article. Uh, I quote, the day without plastic bags will encourage area residents to reduce the number of plastic bags they use and to increase the amount they recycle. Now, earlier this year, uh, the city of Fargo made a decision, I say earlier this year, uh, actually it was last month, uh, they made a decision that they will not ban plastic bags. Instead, they're going to focus on offering alternatives. Um, Commissioner John Strand, he said there's no effort to ban plastic bags as other cities have. He recognizes there isn't a consensus to go away from the bags. Uh, instead, we have this task force, and they're just, they're just encouraging people uh, to not use so many plastic bags. So what do, you, what do you think? Ben, do you use plastic bags you go to the shopping store? Yes. Yep. Yeah, so do I. And, yeah, I use them all the time. And I like using them just for other things once I'm done at the store, too, like, you know, little garbage things or, you know, yeah. I don't know. They're, oh, they're handy. They're handy. Like, yeah. if, you're out, if you're out walking your dog or something, you know, use it to <laughs> scoop up the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the refuse. Definitely. <laughs> uh yeah i mean there's a lot of uses for them they do blow around though i mean it, it yeah. is i mean of, of all the trash that gets thrown away i mean they blow around they get stuck in fences they're unsightly mm-hmm. uh, not good for livestock uh, not good for anything really no. but sometimes i wonder i mean to me that's that's more a question of well, what sort of things can we do to to you know combat littering and, and to make sure that garbage is secured and doesn't get mm-hmm. blown all over the place uh, as opposed to let's stop using plastic bags. But, mm-hmm. like I said, we're going to be talking with Laura Westberg about this. She's the coordinator for the Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force. Uh, they're the ones who are putting on this event tomorrow, a day without plastic bags. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, Ben, I don't think I'll make it through the day without a plastic bag. No, I don't either, especially because I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow and I don't have a reusable bag. But there may be, I mean, there may be an argument here if we just think about how we're using plastic bags a little bit better. And, and get a little bit. I mean, I'm I'm not against having that argument. I I, I do oppose plastic bag bans because mm-hmm. I think they're a useful thing. Right. Uh, but if we want to have a discussion about, well, are are there better ways to use plastic bags? Are there better ways to go about that? I'm I'm open to that. So that's the guest of the next segment. If you want to call in, you could certainly uh, join the discussion. 888-970-9329. You can email me, talk at WDAY.com, or you can tweet me, Laura Westberg, coordinator of the Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force. Coming up next here on The Rob Report. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Report 970, WDY AM 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk 
at WDAY.com. Tomorrow, June 5th, two days after my birthday, Ben. Just thought I'd throw that in there. It's relevant. Yep. Uh, the uh, A group of cities, Fargo, Moorhead, Dilworth, and West Fargo, they're declaring it a day without plastic bags. Here to talk to me about what that means is the coordinator of the Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force, uh, Laura Westberg. Laura, how you doing? Good. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, so so why, why no plastic bags tomorrow? Um, basically, tomorrow is just to acknowledge the adverse impacts of plastic bags in both the local and global environment and just encourage residents to switch to reusable bags and recycle the plastic bags that they do have. What are those impacts in your view? Um, well, plastic, the way it breaks down, it basically just breaks down into smaller and smaller pieces, creating what's called this microplastic. And this microplastic is basically everywhere. I was reading some studies this last week saying that it can be found in sugar and honey and beer. It's crazy. And plastic also has this ability of... Um, like absorbing other harmful chemicals and then releasing them later. So pretty much just negative impacts. Additionally, animals have been found to eat some plastic bags, mistaking it as a food source, and then they can actually starve to death because they can't digest anything else. Well, how? I mean, plastic bags are certainly not anything new. They've been around for decades. Um, I mean, how much – I mean, my problem is that sometimes we hear – about these campaigns targeting something like this, and I hear a lot of, of claims like what you've made, and it, I don't know, I mean, it just kind of doesn't pass the smell test. I mean, if it was that bad, I, I feel like we would have seen noticeable problems before this. Why now? Um, well, why now is basically we're just trying to prevent from seeing these noticeable problems later on. I mean, we may not... Maybe we don't see it that much in our local environment, but definitely in, like, the marine environments, there have been negative impacts. I'm sure we've all yeah. heard of Garbage Island, like this wasteland in the middle yeah. of the ocean where plastic is just everywhere. I mean, that can't be good for animals no. that oh, live there. No, you're right. You're right. No, I don't like that either. But but a lot of that is from, like, uh, like, like, not, like the United States contributes very, very little to that. I mean, a lot of that is coming from countries that, frankly, I don't think do as good a job as we do. In terms of waste management, just in terms of, of you know, you know, not littering, cleaning things up. I mean, the United States contributes very little to that problem. Is it, is it that we need to stop using plastic bags in the United States, or we maybe need to get some other countries in the world to get on board with controlling their garbage? I mean, I do. You do have. You do make a point, but we still are contributing some. So there's definitely still things that we can do to better ourselves. And even, I mean, we do a pretty good job controlling our waste, but. Plastic bags are yeah. really easily transported, so even if you do, you know, throw them away, they can escape the landfill just because sure. they're just picked up by wind. So yeah. that's why we're kind of pushing for this recycling effort, because if you recycle it, you know that it's going to be made into something else, and it's not just going to be blown out of a landfill into a river or something like that. Yeah, because um, I, I, I'll tell you, I mean, if, if you told me, that, you know, the, the things that you told me, even if I didn't believe them or not, I would probably just stop using plastic bags. Like, I, I, it doesn't take me much convincing, right? But, but that's predicated on the idea that there's an easy alternative. I think the big obstacles you guys face who don't want people to use plastic bags is what's the good, easy alternative to that? 
because it ain't paper bags. Paper bags are a, are a nightmare to use. Uh, I'm not sure that it's um, reusable bags. I, you know, if, if, if those were so great, I think more people would be using them. They're kind of a pain because you forget them. Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it's a lot of times maybe you won't have enough of them. Like if you have a particularly large, you know, trip, you can always grab more plastic bags. If I didn't bring enough <laughs> reusable bags with me, what do I yeah. do? I think the problem is there's not really a good alternative to plastic bags. Yeah, I, I hear exactly what you're saying, and that's why we've actually started this boomerang bag program, which provides stores with free reusable bags, because so often people do forget them. And, you know, maybe you don't bring enough. Um, that's why we can provide stores with these free reusable bags and free bins, so then if customers forget them, they can just grab them right at the store. Interesting. Who uh, Now, who's paying? Because there's, I, I got to tell you, a core, uh, there's no such thing as a free lunch. Who's paying for the free bags? I mean, how, how are those coming to, into being? Basically, the way it is, is River Keepers has this um, T-shirts to totes program. So any, like, organization that prints too many T-shirts can donate these unused T-shirts to River Keepers. Then volunteers make them into these reusable bags. Basically, those bags are what we bring to the stores as the free reusable bags. So it's just people donating their time and donating these extra T-shirts. That's where it's coming from. That's why it's free. We have a uh, caller, Ken. Go ahead, Ken. What's up? Yeah, I don't have any problem with using less plastic bags, but if you do use them, um, a little household tip is to take a gallon milk jug or water jug, it's got a little handle on it, or, or a half gallon, cut a slightly smaller size hole in the top and just start shoving them in there. And then at least, number one, you're going to contain them. And if you do end up dropping it off at Hornbachers for the collection point or, you know, your grocery store for a collection point or throwing them out, at least they aren't going to, you know, necessarily blow around at the landfill. They're going to be contained, you know, inside of a, a little uh, a, a small size plastic thing. And that'll fit on your shelf or anywhere in your, in your kitchen pretty easy. Well, that's a that's a good tip. Now, are you focusing on stuff like that? Because obviously, I mean, I, I realize that I the, the name of your event tomorrow is a day without plastic bags. But I'm not. I mean, really, what you're I I, th- I think I think a lot of ways because you know last month the Fargo City Commission you know they decided that that they're not there's not going to be a ban on plastic bags. There's going to be a focus on alternatives. And that seems to be like what you're doing is basically. You know, how, how do we maybe use this stuff better? How can we recycle? How can we maybe use reusable bags in some instances? Or, or in Ken's situation, or what he's, what he's describing, how can we dispose of them more responsibly? I mean, that's it, it seems like there's a lot we could do to just maybe improve the problem without banning plastic bags, right? Yeah, that's definitely what our group is focused on. We're not talking about a ban. It's more or so just like confronting the problems that we do have and looking for solutions without banning them. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's right. Seven zero one two nine three nine thousand eight 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 nine seven zero nine three two nine. Email talk at wday dot com. So uh, let's see, we got some other emails. Um, Lee asks, ask your guests why we can't throw out plastic grocery bags in our curbside recycling container. Um. Basically, plastic bags can disrupt recycling facilities. They get stuck in, like, gears in the facilities, and then they have to shut the whole facility down and take them out by hand. That's why they don't want them to put it in your curbside recycling. You can bring any of your plastic bags um, to a lot of stores like Target, Walmart, Hornbachers, Cashwise, Family Fair, I'm probably missing a few. They all have plastic bag recycling, usually in the front entrance of the store. 
now those because like what what Ken just said is is he's talking about you know in your home you have a, like a I don't know like an old milk jug or something like that where you're stuffing them in. Can you just bring that container to those centers, or do you have to take them out? Ideally, you would take them out. Okay. Um, okay. Sure. I got you. Uh, 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We got an email from Mona. She says, uh, we try to use paper whenever possible. I think the answer is that people need to be more aware of how they dispose of the plastic bags so they're not flying all over the place. And really, right now, I think that that's your message, right, is, is just, hey, let's get better at how we use these things. Yeah, that's a big part of our message, definitely. Just recycling is always a better way to go than just throwing it in the landfill. I mean, either way, you're getting rid of it. Why not just have it recycled into something new? Yeah, well, especially with plastic. I mean, there's a lot you can do with recycled plastic. I mean, it's we're getting more innovative about that stuff uh, all the time. So uh, tell us a little bit more about the event tomorrow. Like if people who want to participate, I, there's like a press conference. What, what all is going on tomorrow? So, yeah, tomorrow at 10 a.m. at the Prairie Roots Food Co-op in Fargo, we're going to be having um, a reading of the proclamation by the Mayorhead the the mayor of Moorhead, my bad. And we're also going to be giving away some reusable bags for people that don't have enough. And we're also going to give away guides for um, residents of the Fargo-Moorhead area so they know what types of plastic bags and film can be recycled and where they can recycle them. Now, not all plastic bags can be recycled. Is that what I'm hearing? Any, like, standard um, grocery bag can be recycled. Okay. Um, there are other things that can be recycled also. That's basically on the guide. Like any film that you could get, like in packaging, that has a little recycling symbol with the number four, that can be recycled at your grocery stores. Like shrink wrap, bubble wrap, that can all be recycled at your grocery stores. I feel like I feel like a big obstacle to a lot of this is just how confusing some of it is, right? I, and and I, mean, I don't I don't want to knock because I, I think we're doing a lot better. Like the recycling technology. Like the single sort stuff, a lot of that stuff that we're doing, I think, is a lot better than it was when some of this stuff started coming around 20, 30 years ago. But I feel like if we could just get better and just I I think the key is the easier we make it for the rank and file citizen to do this stuff, the more likely they are to do it. I just I just I, think that's it at the, at, 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 in a nutshell. I think you just got to make it easy for people. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you, um, and that's kind of why we're handing out the guides, just to make it less confusing. So, you know, if they do have questions, they can just look at it. Like, I know my aunt who lives in the area, she always has her recycling guide in her drawer. So it's like, if you have any questions, you just open it, look at it, then it's all explained for you. That's why we're handing out the guides tomorrow. Yeah, and then, and then you got jerks like me who are just like, well, uh, you know, that's too much work. I'm not. <laughs> Which, for better or worse, I think there's a lot of us out there. I, you know, I'm not saying we're right. I'm not defending myself here. I'm just saying, um, you know, if, if you want my buy-in, you got to make it easier. Well, I appreciate uh, your time, Laura. Anything else you want to add about the, this event, this issue? Um, just to pop on by tomorrow at 10 a.m. and get your free reusable bag and a guide so you know how to recycle your plastic bags. And that's, uh, that's at uh, Prairie Roots Food Co-op in Fargo. Uh, it's a grocery store that doesn't give out any plastic bags at all. Yep. All right. Laura, thanks for your time. Yep. Have a nice day. 
That's Flora Westberg of the uh, Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force. This is Rob Port, 970 WDOI AM, 93.1 FM. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Rob Port, 970 WDOI AM, 93.1 FM. Talking about the uh, plastic bag issue. Just got done interviewing uh, Fargo-Moorhead Plastic Bag Task Force uh, Coordinator, Laura Westberg. Tomorrow, uh, they're calling it a, a day without plastic bags. Uh, it's not going to be a day without plastic bags. I honestly, I think if, if I could just give a little advice, I think sometimes these environmental groups, uh, the, these efforts, I think they take the wrong tactic. They focus on the wrong thing. Um, and, and they do a couple of things. First of all, you're not going to get rid of plastic bags anytime soon. I think you get a lot more, uh, I think you get a lot more done by looking to mitigate the problems. Find easy ways for people to, you know, make sure that they're not blowing around in the wind all over the place. You know, identify the things that we're all annoyed about. I'm annoyed driving down the road. I see a bunch of uh, plastic bags stuck in a fence or stuck in the ditch or whatever. Nobody likes that. No. You know, nobody wants that. Um, so focus on that. Like, okay, well, how do we solve that problem? Well, here, here's better ways to dispose of the, the bags. Here's better ways to recycle them, right? Okay, and just make it easy on us. Uh, so, so don't say it's a day without plastic bags, you know, but think mm-hmm. of a, think of a new slogan. And then also some of the, some of the dire, you know, stuff about whatever, I, I think it's just exaggerated, especially coming through like the, you know, all the climate state change and the global warming stuff. I mean, 10 years ago, Al Gore was saying that we weren't going to have a polar, a polar ice cap at the North Pole right now. Well, clearly that was true. I think the American public's appetite for exaggeration when it comes to environmental issues is, is used up. Um, you got to be more practical. You got to be more pragmatic. That's what I think. Brad emails Rob. Many studies have shown that reusable bags are a serious health risk. It has been proven that numerous cross contamination exists from meats and other fresh goods soiling the bags and getting in other items in future shopping trips. Point being that reusable bags need to be washed on a regular basis to prevent illness. Yeah, he's right, and that's part of the problem. When it comes to making it easier, you're saying, well, okay, we'll just use reusable bags. Well, now I got to remember to bring the reusable bag to the store. Uh, and I got to remember to bring enough of your reusable bags. Because what if I'm at the store and all of a sudden, oh, geez, they got a sale on hot dogs or something. And now I'm going to stock up on hot dogs. And now I don't have enough bags. And now I'm using plastic bags anyway, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the reusable bag. And also, I got to wash my reusable bag on, on a regular basis. I got to remember to do that. And I mean, for busy people, that's a lot to ask. When the alternative is just grabbing a couple of plastic bags out of the dispenser. By the way, I wonder if the plastic bags, like in the produce department, are part of the problem, too. Because I use those all the time, right, that I'm putting my carrots and Mm -hmm. stuff in when I'm buying. Yeah. Let's see. Mark uh, emails, uh, Rob, how about garbage incineration? Not all recycles get recycled. Many of them just go on to the dump. Yeah, I, I don't know about that. I, I I do think that's another part of this. We're getting better at recycling all the time. I like the idea of recycling as a concept. You know, it, it's really interesting. I, I wasn't aware of this. I, I was reading an article the other day, Ben, about companies that are going back and they're going to land mills, uh, landfills, and they're going in there to like find like like discarded electronics, like discarded cell phones really? and stuff like that because of the materials that were used. Like a lot of times cell phones have like gold and other valuable materials in them that they could get out. Uh, sometimes there's like rare earth metals mm-hmm. and stuff that they could get out and use again in some way, I, I guess. I, I'm not smart about this stuff at all, but I, I think it's interesting. Like if you think about it, some of these old landfills are resource deposits. Right. I mean, if if you could find the right way to make it economical to go in there and access that material again, 
and, and make it economical to get it out and use it again. Well, that's great. I mean, if we could do that, that's great. And we could do it before we even put the stuff. If we could do it before we even put the stuff in a landfill to begin with, well, that's also great. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, Instead of just throwing this plastic bag away, we, we send it to some other company. They turn it into another product. It's useful. Great. That's great. Well, and speaking of incinerators and landfills, there are some countries already that just with garbage in general, they burn it to generate energy. Yeah. So, yeah. I, I don't know why that's. I don't know if it's something that we're doing here in America right now or if we're doing a lot of it, but it Yeah. Like you know, I and, and again, I mean that's that gonna stuff. vary. I mean yeah. I mean if if you're a country that maybe doesn't have a lot of access to like coal or something, right. I, you know, maybe burning the garbage mm-hmm. makes sense. I mean I, I don't know. And it I mean the thing is is it's gonna vary from place to place. Um, you know, it's and it's gonna be a lot of needs. And I, I think the point is, you know, we wanna set our goals. We don't want litter. We don't want to be wasteful, mm-hmm. right? We don't. We don't want to create problems for ourselves. So I, I think we want to set those goals to be the right goals. But also, I think we want to leave ourselves some flexibility when it comes to meeting those goals, mm-hmm. and recognizing that there may always be a place for plastic bags in our society, right? There may always just be a need to have that very easy, have a durable bag. Which, by the way, does it seem like plastic bags are a lot more durable than they used to be? I don't know. I used to have a problem. I feel I, like, I, feel like I haven't more. had a plastic bag open on me. Like like break open on me like they used to. Really? Maybe I'm just getting smarter and I'm packing my groceries better. That could I don't be. know. Yeah, um, I think it is good to have the reusable bags available as an option. Of course, they're not going to get rid of all plastic bags, and we still need them sure. to be there. But I think yeah. it is good that more stores make that an option for people. And like you say, you know, there is the upkeep yeah. with it. You have to clean it. But I don't see the harm in you know people owning. No, that. I don't yeah, think there's anymore. any harm. Yeah. No, if if if, no. if reusable bags work for you, mm-hmm. great. You know, and if, if I don't yeah. know, maybe you, you, you put the uh, you put the dispenser and you can grab a free reusable bag there and, and you got a group that's going to provide that. Well, that well, that's great, too. I'm not opposed to any of this stuff. Right. Um, I just sometimes think we get, you know, I and, I, and mostly I'm looking. I, I, I think the way it's being handled and I, I give some credit to Commissioner John Strand. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think the approach to it's been very a lot more pragmatic maybe than we've seen in other cities where they just come out and say, oh, well, we're just going to ban plastic bags. And now all of a sudden, well, okay, well, what's the alternative? What's everybody using now? Now we're all using reusable bags. It's illegal to own plastic bags. I think that's just that's just a dumb way to do it. I think what you got to do, you want to identify your goals and then make it easy for people to to move towards those goals. I think mm-hmm. that's that's what you've got to do. That's got to be the approach. 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY. Dot com. Busy show. Uh, let's see. What do we need to recap? Do we need to recap anything, Ben, from the show? Uh, I'm trying to think of what we talked about. We talked about plastic bags. The, cake, the, the, the Supreme cake, Court yes. and cake-baking thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to be interesting to see where that goes next. Yeah. I hope the one thing, because we, we talked about how the Supreme Court case doesn't necessarily set a precedent. They didn't strike down Colorado's law. In fact, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure the state of Colorado could could start the process all over again with this guy. If they wanted to, and they, it would have to be a different process. And I think if there's the one good thing that could come out of that Supreme Court ruling, it's that the Supreme Court saying basically you can't have just a bunch of 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 you know, you've got to be respectful of religion in the process, and you can't mm-hmm. just be dismissive of somebody's no. sincerely held beliefs. I think that's great. And and mm-hmm. so if 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 these cities, these counties, these states, or whatever that are creating these commissions if they have to have a, a, a process that more thoroughly respects a person's sincerely held religious beliefs and their first amendment rights well then that's a win right um but this this supreme court ruling did not strike down any laws 
mm-hmm. and to not really change anything in, in terms of whether or not the government could force you to bake a cake. Um, so that it's going to be interesting to see how that debate comes on forward. I have a feeling eventually down the line we're going to get another case at the Supreme Court and we are going to see a ruling that's that sets the decision. I, I will say this, though. I, I want to add this. What, what the Supreme Court, with their 7-2 ruling on this case, that's what judicial restraint looks like. Because I think it would have been very easy for the court to step in and make a, a much broader ruling. It would have been very easy for them to step in and do that. And I don't think that that would have been judicial restraint. Instead, they ruled very specifically on the case, and they turned the issue back over to the legislatures, uh, both at the national level and at the state levels, mm-hmm. saying, you know, basically, we, we ruled on this specific case, but in the aggregate, this is this is a this is a, a a decision to be made by the policymakers. That's judicial restraint. I like that. Emailer uh, Mark says, uh, "Oh, what a concept! Burn for energy and not ship garbage all over the world." Uh, no one has proven to me that recycling is less costly. Uh, transportation three, four, five times. Sort and recycled items are more expensive. Yeah, you know. There's a lot to that. I mean, the although the economics of recycling, there was once upon a time where I think you could argue that recycling was bad for the environment. I think if you go back 20, 30 years ago, the amount of energy and everything it took to, to move the recycling around and to run the recycling centers and everything, um, I, I think was was it was probably worse for the environment. And realizing that that's a, that's something that we can measure using a lot of different metrics. You could argue that it was worse for the environment to do that than it would be to just bury that stuff in a landfill. I don't think that that's true anymore. Mm-hmm. I think that we've gotten a lot better at it, and we've gotten a lot more efficient at it. And I, I do think that in a lot of ways it makes sense. And and I wasn't always I, – I used to be not a big fan of recycling for that reason. But I, I, th- I think it opened up my eyes when they started talking about how landfills are like the, these deposits of resources that can be dug out and recycled now. That's how that's changing. Because we're getting better at that, because we're getting better at being able to take that garbage and reclaim it and turn it into something that's useful again. I mean, that's a good thing. Why would we not want that? Can you imagine that one day? There's going to be a mining industry one day, Ben, that's built around, like, landfills, old landfills. They're going to have garbage? Yeah. Yeah. I think that'd like, be Just great. a mining industry that, that's going through old garbage. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be a great it, idea. Isn't that amazing? I, it's yeah. going to happen. Maybe not anytime soon. One day it's going to happen. They're going to go through all these old landfills. They're going to dig up all that old garbage. And it's going to be economical for them to just turn it into other things. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully they can do something about that uh, garbage island, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's not a good thing. But, again, not really something that the United States contributes to. We contribute some, but not nearly as much as other countries. And, and garbage island, I think, is... Maybe something that needs to be settled through, like, diplomacy and international law mm-hmm. as opposed to banning plastic bags in Fargo. Right. Um, all right, that's it for me today, Jay Thomas Show. Straight ahead, you can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com, North Dakota's most popular political blog. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.